Okay, good morning, everybody. Welcome to another New Energy Chinwag uh, with myself, John Massey, and also Charlie Rattan. Hello, Charlie. Good morning. Um, today, we it's going to be probably a shorter podcast and a very specific one. Uh, Charlie was with the Crown Estate yesterday, so we're going to concentrate on what Charlie found there, what the latest, um, or if you like, the future plans are for offshore wind here in the UK, hot off the press. Uh, so, Charlie, kick off. What was what was the buzz yesterday at the Crown Estate? Yeah, it was a good choice of uh, introduction there, John, because a buzz indeed it was at the Crown Estate uh, yesterday. Um, the Crown has been working on, on the next um, leasing round. It's been the first major leasing round in a decade in the UK. And the Crown is keen that the UK keeps its uh, global leadership position. It wants to be a world anchor in offshore wind. And to do that, it has to set uh, enough seabed aside to keep the uh, the global wind industry uh, interested and satisfied. And the Crown has been engaging at various events in the last 18 months. I've been along to them. And this was a culmination of that uh, process. And a few key, uh, a few key elements uh, emerged, John. One was that uh, seven gigawatts of uh, new leasing round will be made available. Uh, these have been refined into four zones, uh, two on the east coast, one on the south coast and one on the northwest of, uh, of England. And the Crown went through quite a detailed process on uh, what developers uh, need to do to, to, to bid for uh, projects within those zones. OK. Um, and. And what do they need to do? Is, that, is it different? Are there any changes that are made? Yeah, yeah. There, there, there are a few significant uh, changes uh, which will encourage uh, developers. One is that the lease itself will be 60 years. Uh, this is rather than the pr previous 50 years. And it means a few things. It means uh, that, that projects can run for much longer, longer payback time, which is going to encourage investors. Um, there's scope in there for a repowering. So it's effectively going to be two wind farms. If you think that a wind farm might run for 20, 25 years, decommissioning, and then rather than going reverting back to seabed, then a second project, who knows what the tech will be in 25 years, given that we've gone from 400K to, uh, to 12 megawatts in the last 25 years. So who knows what technologies will be available for the repowering, but that is built into it. Decommissioning is built into it. And even the option, uh, that's the upfront uh, kind of pre-consenting stage, is, is up to 10 years now to allow uh, a, lot, a lot of uh, CFDs to be uh, sorted and to allow refinement of the projects. Uh, so those are significant. I also heard quite a bit about air to gas, uh, the Crown called it. We've talked about those in our, in our podcasts, uh, John. What would you say air to gas might encompass? Well, I'm guessing they mean turning wind electricity into hydrogen. Yes, and uh, that was uh, recognised by the Crown, and there is a 50% reduction on uh, on fees. So if developers can uh, persuade the Crown and others that, um, that there is innovation uh, within the proposal, this is new, this wasn't even discussed last year, but if there is innovation uh, within the proposal, then we can expect a 50% discount on fees. So I think the Crown is realised, and it this came directly as a result of uh, feedback from uh, from developers. But obviously, some of these new tech ideas, we've discussed them in our hydrogen uh, podcasts, 
are to come to fruition, then it needs a little bit of realization that uh, obviously it's not out and out support or it's not an out subsidy, but there, there is realization that when you work out things like how many megawatts per uh, square kilometer, three megawatts in uh, in pre-consent, five megawatts in post-consent, then you need to help the commercials along. And the Crown have come uh, back and they said, well, rather than allocate a specific zone for air to gas, as they call it, which is hydrogen to you and I, uh, then they will encourage it through a, a reduction in, in, in fees. And that, that's gone down extremely well with uh, with a, a number of key developers there yesterday. What a, were they including anything else in the Yes, innovation. We um, there was, was something that we touched upon. Uh, we discussed hybrid energy schemes uh, in one of our recent podcasts, and the Crown also is interested in hybrid uh, offshore wind farms. But they define hybrid slightly differently uh, from us. Their hybrid encompasses things like connecting up to interconnectors. So, um, would that constitute a hybrid scheme? Yes, it would. It's not combining solar and offshore wind or electrolysis and offshore wind, but it is combining different tech. So that would encompass hybrid. Would exporting to a country other than the UK be a hybrid scheme? Uh, well, yes, it would in, in, in the Crown's uh, ears. And there were other definitions of hybrid that I thought were slightly different from the ones that you and I discussed. So perhaps that merits uh, a, 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 um, a, a, a further discussion uh, in the future. But clearly the Crown is is it's got this commercious, commercial conscious commercialism underpinning so it's not just it is it is obviously commercial but it can take a long-term view and that long-term view is evident in a number of responses uh, yesterday and i just thought that they were helping because it's not going to be cheap um, i think developers have to show 70 million pounds in the bank cash they have to show uh, 600 million pounds i think um profit and show um, the, the the books for the last three years and they have to put a, a, a kind of bond a decommissioning bond, which is again new, up up front. Uh, so it's not going to be a, a, a light project for, for developers, but given the fact that your shells and your BPs and your totals are now there in the room, they didn't used to be, mm -hmm. given that the big six already know the risks, they're not necessarily going to be spooked by this. They know that uh, offshore wind works, it's mature, the bigger turbines, uh, these are going to be even more uh, you, you look at the four zones and you'll see there are vast, vast acreages of, sea, of seabed, um, bigger than English counties, uh, some of them, which will take big, big projects. And the Crown has just said, look, these are the zones. You show us what you think the project boundaries will be. You come back up to it with, with, with a figure and then mm -hmm. we will sit back. And it's a bit of a blind bid. Now, that was spooking the existing developers. They said, well, look, right, we've been doing this for 15, 20 years and we've taken the risk. And now the big oil and gas companies are coming in. and We don't operate at their margins. We can't do that. We have to keep things tight. So there's been a bit of a chit chat uh, with the Crown as to how, how the existing incumbents can, uh, can have a fair playing field. Some of that is a little bit disguised. Uh, the other key thing that I thought was, uh, was, was movement from the Crown is that there's a thing called the Habitat Regulations Assessment, which is European driven and that's really difficult to people don't even know what they're assessing and what the level of passing and failing the assessments are and the crown uh, rather pragmatically has, has divided that process into bite-sized chunks in which you do an initial assessment you share it you don't any real red flags are then flagged and then there's perhaps another stage but you only have to do it in a, in a very orderly manner so you don't spend vast sums at the pre-consenting stage on risks if you don't think you can mitigate and come up to uh, other solutions. There's quite a lot of 
pragmatism realism built into the crown's development uh, uh, model they've talked to the grid they've talked to the military that's not to say that the sites are, are without issue but the crown also has put revised plans out and what they these plans show this is new yesterday is the developable area within the zones because even within the zones you might find the shipping lanes and military interest but because they're so vast and it's like the old geographical information systems the gis approach let's look at the constraints within the zone and let's see what is really developable and that was shared uh, yesterday and that went down extremely well with the industry obviously when you put a bid together you might put it on the uh, the square square kilometerage and if you can reduce out by <laughs> saying well we know we can't develop there so why are we going to put it in our bid you can refine the bid and be quite smart when you put your bid in so it's a much more tailored process for developers uh, uh, yesterday so a number of key things the um, it's the biggest one in the world as i said it aligns to bays it aligns to all the stuff you and i talk about we talk about the, uh, the industrial strategy and we talk about sector deal and we talk about big uh, oil and gas company interests we talk about innovation all of these have been encompassed with the crown and bear in mind that the key stakeholders are engaged they are they are comfortable with what the zones that have been uh, put out uh, put out to the bids mm. i mean i guess i guess one obvious question people will be asking if we've talked about 50 percent reduction in fees how do the fees work how much are they yeah, that's, um, it's a bit of a blind bid uh, mm. process. Now, off the record, uh, <laughs> to our listeners, to our global listeners, what tends to happen is that a figure, and it might be like uh, 3% of the uh, of the income might be, if, 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 you, if you were to be uh, quite, quite broad, uh, a, a realistic figure. And I think that came from onshore wind. So if you were to say, well, look, it shows your books, and there's a degree of uh, chit-chat about how much you'd show but you might say three percent of the uh, of the income it might be a bit a realistic fee but there is a, an option fee it's not free and it's, it's quite low they don't want to discourage people and there are these hurdles that i've just mentioned i think it was 70 million pounds in the bank show us cash yeah. and all these obviously you don't want to be commissioning big pieces of work and then not get the consent or, or god forbid carry on mm. and then find that 10 days of adverse weather has, has not knocked out your entire budget it's an expensive business offshore wind and uh, it, it doesn't take long, even for utilities to burn through quite big sums of, uh, of money, £500,000 per vessel per day. And if you've got half of those on site, it doesn't take much, even for big companies, to, uh, to feel it. Mm. So that, that was in. So the fees are great. It's not, it's not a vast option fee. A lot of this is, um, is still commercially sensitive, but it's based upon what the developer feels. So the developer will now look at the revised sites the developable area, work out what they can get per, per kilometre. It's three three megawatts per square kilometre was, uh, was the initial rule of thumb. Mm, yeah. uh, and then so you might work, but you say, well, how much is that worth? Here's my bid. You might say, well, I'm Eon, and this is worth this much. Or you might say, well, we're Shell and we're desperate to get this, or we've got assets here and we can do this. And because we've got this base here, we can keep our costs right down. So we're going to bid this. And so it's really, that's going to be blind. That won't be published. The Crown will obviously be honest brokers in this role mm. uh, but i don't think that's going to necessarily emerge into the into the public domain so uh, the crown ultimately are looking when they're handing out leases that it's kind of highest bidder yes uh, yeah. yes yeah and uh, there, there were a few rules about uh, buffering there were a few rules about adjacency existing mm. incumbents about not affecting others uh, but i would have thought if you're an existing holder you've got advantages there because your buffer is with yourself 
then your buffer might be, you say, well, we're not that bothered about it. We're not going to create a fuss because it's our own wind farm that's effectively being extended. So that is a, a disguised form of uh, incumbency uh, yeah, yeah. advantage. So um, it, it is a blind bidding process and there'll be bids every day. You could even get over eight gigawatts out of this if, if one because of the way the crown is running it with a bid every day. And it's up to seven gigawatts. But if the last one, say the the, the, the figure is six and a half gigawatts mm. going into the final round, and then somebody comes up with a, a two, well, I think one and a half gigawatt is the top. So, But if somebody comes up with the, the one and a half gigawatt top bid, when it's already at six and a half, then you're up to eight gigawatts by yeah. stealth. Uh, and, and that is, is quite possible. Uh, you don't know. And the, So there's a bit of a, a game playing scenario for developers. Mm. There are a few rules for developers. Um, about membership of consortiums, they can't chop and change, and I think the crown wants it. So once you're in, uh, you're locked in. So that there's quite a bit of structural um, reasoning about uh, why that was and why you couldn't chop and change horses halfway through the process and be members of various different uh, JVs. So there's quite a lot of guidance, and especially for the new guys, they're not necessarily used to the uh, the round one, round two, round three mm. processes. So there's quite a lot of questions about structuring of what financial guarantees you needed in place, what parent guarantees might be required, letters of support, what the weight given to that. The Crown wants to encourage new entrants, yeah, but it doesn't want to hack off existing entrants either. So it's tried to make it as uh, as fair and as transparent as uh, as possible and be upfront on, on expectations going forward. So a lot more guidance at a very early stage on, on this round. Yeah. It's, it's interesting that the... Um the bidding for the license is kind of highest bids and then when we get to the actual cfds it's lowest bids so the developer's <laughs> going to be squeezed on one on the one hand yeah. the yeah. ability to set it up and on the other hand the the price they have to meet to be able to get into the market but yeah yeah, yeah one, re one reason for the 10-year option was to align with the cfds obviously cfds only kick in for consented sites yeah, so yeah. you need consent and so that that see the 10-year option uh, the ten-year option, I think you only paid. There was a there's a cutout fee after two years. You could escape, mm, but you yeah. are on the hook for ten years of, uh, of fees. Yeah. Uh, I think the option fee melts away. I seem to recall once you once you sign the lease as well. So they're not going to keep you on the hook once you started to get yeah. to, uh, to to generate. They're quite so that some dates were given by the crown yesterday. Uh, they want to turn this around very quickly. I, th I think very too quickly. They expect the first bids to be prepared on the basis of the evidence released. There's um, whole heap of technical data relating to, to, to risk matrixes released. There's some GIS data going to be uh, released, the shape files, which the analysts will pour over. The developers will then look at that. They will then refine their sites. They'll see, have they got existing kit, existing sites? Do they know the wind speed? What bid should they put in? And obviously, they want a high enough bid to, uh, to win the prize. Obviously, it's blind bidding, so they don't necessarily know who the rivals are. They'll be guessing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's a bit of guesswork going out. It's not, it's not impossible. People like you and I read the tea leaves of these things and work out, oh, that's right next to a shell base. That might be a good one for mm -hmm. them. Or Eon's got an existing wind farm here. Why aren't they looking to extend? That's the kind of thing that you would uh, think. We can never be quite sure. And like you say, there's this bit of blind bidding, uh, which which bidding high and then ironically then bidding, bidding low for the second uh, CFD. But the CFD is a big driver. Uh, the good thing, is that uh, bays are aligned, key stakeholder allies, and de-risking has, has occurred, and quite a lot of de-risking, it's a quite a good standard. Um, I was quite interested to see the Welsh government strongly represented yesterday, so that indicates to me 
that um, it's England, Wales and Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland has dropped out, but there's been quite a lot of work on the northwest coast and Anglesey, a portion of Anglesey's back in. Uh, so there was an Anglesey zone which fell out. Watch that space for future rounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's an element of Anglesey's being incorporated in the northwest, the Irish Sea off the coast of, uh, of, of, of Liverpool and uh, reaching up to the Solway uh, Firth. So that is interesting as well. It's the only one on the west coast. The Crown wants at least three separate areas to progress. It wants it to be um, a diverse portfolio, which again indicates to me that the northwest of England is extremely well placed on that uh, basis as the only bidder on the, on the west coast at the moment. Uh, and the, the south coast, uh, the Eon existing site of Rampion, I did notice quite a bit of seabed around that, and I'm sure that will have been spotted within Westwood and uh, Eon and Energy, who now have linked uh, linked up. It's quite strange to see former Eon colleagues wearing energy badges yesterday. It was a bit of, a bit of a mindset. Obviously, when you work for companies, you tend to have arch rivals. And, yeah. uh, so suddenly, ooh, that's, that's of interest. So um, a, a few things behind the scenes that we, uh, we don't need to go into detail here. Right. But, uh, so I suppose in, to summarise in terms of timescale, when, when will licence bids be done? And, and then when are these, are we looking at these things eventually becoming operational? Yeah, uh, so we're t- talking about a timeline, I think early New Year for the bidding process. Yeah. Uh, those that succeed will then go through to stage two, if you like, where it will be daily bids and then the winners will emerge. About a year from now, September, October time, you would expect that to be then into a very quick uh, turnaround. That will be uh, announced. The dates, obviously, we're talking about this is being built up about 2030 and this is one of a number of potential rounds. So um, I, I do have the dates jotted down, which perhaps we can discuss in a future uh, uh, podcast. But the key thing is, is it's quick. The de-risking has started and they're looking for commitment and they're looking for it up front. Uh, so um, obviously ESs, there's quite a lot of discussion about the ESs, but the ES on the basis of already substantial de-risking. Yeah? So it should be a much more pain-free uh, uh, kind of process than has hitherto been the case. Uh, yes, and, and, you mean environmental? Yes, survey. environmental yeah. statements. Yeah, yeah, yeah which are mega documents, and there's quite a lot of um, discussion about that because what constitutes third parties, what constitutes supports? Do we have to declare who's doing our ES now? Not a lot of companies can do them in house. Um, stakeholders don't like companies doing ESs in house. Uh, if you put an Eon stamp on it and say this is an Eon ES, and they say, well, you would say that, wouldn't you? <laughs> and so uh, yeah. uh, the, the, uh, the stakeholders tend to like an independent consultant to uh, to come in. There's only a few that have got the capabilities. Not many have done decommissioning. Not many have done offshore. Not many know the realities of offshore work. So there's only really a very few that can offer. Mm-hmm. And doubtless their services will be in demand because um, it's a very, very quick process. So seven gigs, possibly up to eight and uh, it's going to be very quick now. Okay. Um, and I suppose one final one. Um, were there any supply chain people there or was it all? Kind yes, of yes, there was. And, and, and they were very interested in the innovation side. I did see my former friends uh, with uh, Mitsubishi Heavy Industries. They've uh, now linked up with uh, with Vestas. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, they were asking a few questions, uh, especially the questions they asked indicated that there are innovations <laughs> uh, ahead. Um, that innovation might include things like hydraulic drivetrains. When uh, when Vestas and uh, Mitsubishi linked up, uh, Mitsubishi had done a heap of work on hydraulics, and I wouldn't be surprised if some of that was to uh, to emerge. Uh, and uh, obviously, we've know that we we keep mentioning hydrogen, 
and hydrogen and air to gas was uh, was mentioned and companies are still looking at that a couple of other things were mentioned floating which isn't really encouraged in this round uh, that's one thing that does remain constant from last year the mm -hmm. seabed depths really preclude um, floating but that is only floating on this round there's lobbying from the welsh government from the northwest of england and indeed cornwall because these rounds are going to be pretty regular now you might find seven gigs being allocated pretty frequently uh, between now and 2030 uh, the floating uh, uh, will gain traction and let's not forget there is the sister scotwind uh, process which has been delayed up in scotland but that will emerge sooner or later and certainly floating will will form a major part of that uh, that round so uh, the the tier two uh, kind of people the the uh, the supply chain represented in in, in large part by uh, the the turbine manufacturers were indeed there and indeed there was political engagement bays were there the welsh government was there stakeholders you don't normally see at this kind of event were there yesterday okay all right interesting okay that's probably given people a good swift introduction to what it was all about it's probably a good one good place to leave it um so yeah you had an enjoyable day by the sound of it interesting day <laughs> lots going on and um yeah we'll see everyone next time thank you